Okay, hello and uh, welcome to the TES News Podcast. Uh, I'm Martin George. I'm joined by Helen Ward. Hello. Hi, Helen. Hi. And uh, Ed Donald. Hi, Ed. Bonjour. Um, so let's kick off. Um, Helen, um, you've got um, a really important piece um, spread over several pages of this week's magazine looking at what's happening to the curriculum on the ground in terms of how much time schools are spending on different subjects. Um, yeah. Talk us through the uh, what you found. So it's what we've kind of discussed is that we've called it's the real curriculum. Uh, so obviously schools are meant to be having a broad and balanced curriculum and we wondered how broad and balanced they were and one thing you can look at is the Department of Education's own teaching time figures. And if you look at these figures of, it's, uh, as of how much time people are spending on each individual subject, you can see quite clearly, will come as no surprise to our listeners, that schools are spending more time on maths, English and science and less time on the arts and, and perhaps more worrying, less time on PE and PSHE, which given the current concerns about children's health and I mean the sugar tax just uh, today, yeah, I mean, um, not sugar tax, the energy and, drinks and thing, mental health as well. and mental health yeah. with PSHE are, are concerning findings. I mean, Ed, is this um, cause for concern? I mean, it might not be surprising, but it's more evidence perhaps of um, the curriculum being narrowed. Yeah, I think that's right. I, it made me think <laughs> that we should do this. Every, I'm speaking out loud. It's like mm. a sorrow meeting. We should do this every year. It should be a state of the nation thing. Yeah. I, I just wonder why, not just us, why no one has done this before, as far as I'm aware. Um, because this is telling us, you know, we're going to talk about exams in a minute. Mm. But, you know, every year there's all these headlines about who's doing what, en who's entering what, our entries in science up and maths down or whatever. But actually, this is what is happening. And while the headline figures aren't surprising as such, they are depressing nonetheless, I think. Um, and, you know, teachers, our readers, have been warning for years now of the impact of League Tables and Progress 8, EBAC especially, yeah. on, on, on what's happening in the curriculum. Um, and this is just evidence of, of what is actually happening. Yeah, yeah. I think it's in, the interesting thing is that, um, as you're saying, the exam reforms have led a lot of it. I mean, when the, especially for maths, when it came in, the Gove actually said, we want schools to spend more time on maths, and, and they are. But it, it's like all of these kind of, it's like kind of workload issue in a way. It's like, well, if you're adding more time in here, what are you taking time away from? Mm -hmm. And it's almost as if people thought you could spend more time on maths and science and English, all laudable, fantastic, you know, things to do. No one's taking away core subjects. But then, where, where is the time for the other subjects? And, and one of the points that was made um, by someone I spoke to in this piece was that some of these subjects may have come out maybe reducing, in the, serve, maybe reducing in, the, in the time spent in lessons, but the schools want to offer them. It's not, you know, schools are kind of... Mm. So they're offering them as extra curriculum. Mm. So if you do an art GCSE, you may have an, an after-school art GCSE kind of extra class that you can go along to. But then, he, as he points out, he says, but what what message does that send? What subliminal? Me I mean, obviously, as well as the whole kind of issue of time and, and funding and things, what what message does that send? That some lessons are being yeah. taught in in lesson time, mm. in your core time, and some are being offered afterwards. 
it's one way round to try and keep that broad and balanced offer to children, but it, you know, the message it sends is that some are important enough to be taught at nine o'clock on a Monday morning and some aren't. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I so. think that's right. I, I think it's, um, it's a case of be careful what you wish for, really. Mm. Um, and while, while the um, accountability measures and the floor targets are as they stand, you can't blame teachers, you can't blame schools for, for doing this. I mean, this is just a fact of life. And it really illustrates, I think, the power that these things and the government's levers, as they call them, has over schools. I mean, the flip side is um, the story that broke this morning, the EPI, Education Policy Institute, report into teacher recruitment. And there's obviously a desperate, short, desperate shortage of, well, a teacher across the board, but namely in languages, in, mat in maths and in the sciences. Um, well, begs the question what really is going on. There are more and more and more hours being taught in these subjects and there's less and less teachers to teach it. Yeah. Because um, any wonder the stress levels in schools are yeah. through the roof. Do you think there's any chance of change here? I mean, the government's saying that we want to uh, reduce the, the, the pressure of accountability and because uh, that's driving workloads and pressure and all these sort of things. I mean, if that really happens and it's really felt by schools, do you think you'll see a growth in, in being able to teach the arts, the languages, these things again? Or is this deeply ingrained? Are there other drivers that, 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 that push schools to do this? Well, Ofsted are proposing to change um, their framework, the inspection framework from mm. next year, aren't they? Um, and that intends to re uh, reduce the emphasis on teaching and learning and reduce the emphasis on um, assessment and exam results and, and increase the emphasis on what they're calling um, curriculum thinking mm. uh, so in theory that would definitely make a difference but uh, my opinion is um, the proof will be in the pudding and while the government still has um, accountability, accountability measures like Progress 8 which is a progress version of um, EBAC uh, listeners don't write in I know it's more than that but that's shorthand uh, it's really hard to change, isn't it? It's really hard to like, turn a tanker. Well, also, I mean, it would take time. I mean, once schools have made adjustments to their staffing based on teaching more English, maths and science and less on arts, you've got to change your yeah. staffing profile, haven't you, if, if you want to mm. then... Well, there is, as you say, there's the, the, the kind of two accountability measures. There's the exams and the Ofsted. There's also parents, mm. you know? Uh, so, like, a head teacher I spoke to said, you know, well, we think our parents want us, they offer an hour of art, an hour of drama, an hour of dance it, for Key Stage 3 separately. So each week they will do those. They say parents want that kind of arts-rich school. That's, that's one of their selling points. So, but you, you do have this, where we've got a democratically elected government and this is what they think. Mm. So you have to balance it up. But, you know, parents maybe would have a say in terms of what they want schools to do and uh, and the how th how they want schools to to develop in future. The tragedy is though, if they if, even if they want it, and even if the government decide they want it, it's like that languages thing is that you know the t near terminal decline of German they say is possibly inevitable. German in schools is mm. possibly inevitable because there's nobody doing well. Very few people doing German A level now. They translate to even fewer people doing German degrees, which in turn translates to an absence of German teachers, yeah. which means that you can't offer German in schools again. Yeah. And you know there is that danger um, 
with languages especially that even if they want to offer them there may not be the teachers to do it yep. at which point the whole thing becomes a vicious cycle yeah, yeah. Um, another thing in the magazine um, Damien Hines our state DH the big DH um, uh, got a profile of him based on a, an interview uh, I went who to wrote it me. Fantastic paper. <laughs> um, yeah, no, so I, I spent um, uh, some time with him at the Department of Education last Thursday, um, covered a, a range of topics. Um, wh- what do you sort of make of it? What have we learned about Well, I think Damien it's a piece Hines? of brilliant journalism, Martin. Thank you. That, that <laughs> went without saying, actually, but thank you for saying it anyway. Uh, um, I mean, he's, he's, I mean, this is the second time I've done sort of the traditional back-to-school interview with the Secretary of State. Last year was with Justin Greening. She was very sort of detail orientated. Um, this year with Damien Hines, he seemed a bit elusive, if I'm honest. You know, we're trying to press him for you know, direct answers to direct questions. Mm. It's an issue that we've seen MPs complaining about at the Education Select Committee. We've seen journalists, you know, sort of talking about it as well. Um, that that is that a developing theme here? Yeah, it's sort of worrying, isn't it? Um, and Anne Mraz, the uh, the editor, um, writes about this in her leader as well. Then, then there comes a point when I think you want to get some meat on the bone with the mm. Secretary of State. You want to know what they feel, what they think, what makes them tick. Um, and as uh, as yet, uh, I don't really feel like we've got there with Damien Hines. You know, I, I think he does, in theory, want to do something about um, well, I think he definitely does, to be fair, want to do something about recruitment and retention um, and workload because of that. Um, but short of the really good sound bites, well, they're not even really good, short of sound bites, mm. I don't really know where he's going with it. Yeah. I think I, I was struck by um, uh, him and the Defence Secretary, Gavin Williamson, are two of the sort of being tipped to the two rising stars in the Cabinet, future Prime Ministers maybe. Williamson's has been out there um, shouting on the front page of the Daily Mail about forgive everything. For, forgive for the pun, shooting from the hip. Yeah. Shooting from <laughs> the hip, indeed. Whereas Hines has seemed to just be, be very, very quiet, um, yeah. calculate everything you say not to offend anyone in any possible way, and so stealthily rise. Yes, yeah, I think the contrast is made often with um, uh, Jeremy Hunt as well when he was still at health, isn't mm. it? Yeah. Yep. Jeremy Hunt won a series of Whitehall pitch battles the last year that he was in that job by being very public and gobby mm. and saying this is what we need, this is what we want and challenging almost the centre not to give it to him um, uh, and you feel like that's certainly the um, modus operandi of, uh, of Gavin Williamson mm. uh, and it appears not to be <laughs> the modus operandi of Damien Hines now that might be sensible politics uh, you know d- never forget the rise of John Major mm. you know the grey man who said nothing interesting became Prime Minister, so maybe maybe that's Damien Hines' future. But uh, given the state of our schools and given the state of funding in our schools and given the state of the curriculum that we've talked about and the recruitment crisis, um, I think our readers probably deserve a bit more. Yeah. I mean, a couple of, sort of specific issues we talked about, so funding, massive issue. Mm. Obviously, that came up, and you had to sort of press him for some answers on that. Um, there was no real sense of hope I got that, that he thinks schools will get any more money. Instead, what he wanted to talk about was how to help them save money from their existing budgets. Um, yeah, a lot of schools will be saying, well, we've, we've cut to the bone. We're, we're, we're there already. You know, 
the photocopier bill might be, we might have to shave 10 quid a month off the photocopier bill, but we fired all, all our TAs, we've shut our design department, you know, we're not doing any theatre trips. Yeah. Uh, thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I did see a few sarcastic tweets, actually, along yeah. those lines. Um, yeah. And the other one, I mean, the big one we've mentioned already, the Ofsted framework being um, overhauled. Coming in next year is Amanda Spielman's plan. We've reported this summer about tension between the DfE mm. and Ofsted about whether to actually do this. Um, there, there's a hint there, I mean, Hind sort of obliquely saying, well, we've got to balance those changes against, will it impact on teacher workload? Well, that certainly seems to be the noise that's coming out of the department, is that while they quite like the um, direction of travel of the new framework, they're less keen on um, the urgency that's happening. They're worried that yet more change, whatever the change, will increase workload and therefore um, have a Im negative impact on retention issues specifically. Um, but again, this is the way Damien Hines seems to work. Can you get anyone in the department to actually say they're concerned publicly? You definitely can't. No, no. He's work, they work behind the scenes, it would seem. Yeah, and well, we'll see how effective that is yeah. um, in, in weeks and years to come. Um, obviously, we're coming back just after the summer holidays. I thought we'd do a really quick recap for people who've missed it, um, things that, that happened. Um, the day that many schools broke up, or just after actually, Teachers Pay Award was announced. 3.5% um, for teachers on the main pay scales, but below inflation, i.e. real terms pay cuts for senior teachers, head teachers. How's that gone down? Didn't go down well. <laughs> <laughs> It, 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 to be fair, it was kind of mixed. There were some head teachers on, you know, follow on Twitter who, who were, well, you know, if there is, you know, going to be a, a, a finite amount of money, I would rather that, you know, my hardworking classroom teachers got this and I got slightly less. Mm. But there were other people making the point that, well, if you're trying to, as you're saying, the retention, recruitment and retention yeah. problem, if you're trying to say, well, you know, to your maybe a classroom teacher who's been in the post for 20 odd years, actually, you'll be getting less of a pay rise than the person next door who's been teaching for five years. What does that say about retention? You know, does that say we value it? I mean, mm. obviously, they may be on a higher pay range to start with, so the percentage amount will be, but, but the message of 3.5 for one and two for the other. And it's also sort of projecting forwards, you know, where are your next senior leaders or school yep. leaders going to come from? Yeah. And if you're saying, well, if you go into this more stressful role, you're going to pay your know, real terms pay cut year after year. That's not a real recruitment sale, is it? I mean, quickly, before we move on to the next stuff, the, you know, there is that big bulge of people leaving in their 30s, specifically women leaving in their 30s. And these will be people, a large chunk of whom, who will have made it onto the upper pay scale. So this isn't going to help with them. In fact, it's going to be the opposite of helping yeah. with them. Yeah. Well, I mean, it may not be an ongoing... It may have just been something that they did for this year this only. Year. We don't, you know... We'll well, see. There's all sorts of internal but vital machinations that I could wang on about for ages, but I won't bore you. Yeah. I think just two things happened over the summer. A-level results, GCSE results. Um, big concerns about stress with these new, tougher exams, yeah. you know, rolling forward still. Uh, concerned about unconditional offers at A-levels. Um, 
and questions about whether perhaps with the new QCSEs, teachers felt they were flying blind this year and it was tough. Perhaps we're over the hump now. Perhaps in years to come it'll be easier now they know what to uh, expect. Any thoughts on this, th this year's exam season? Um, there was a glitch with the GCSEs, wasn't there, over the, um, over the double award or dual science or whatever we call it these days. Um, a number of kids as yet, the number not clear, were entered for the wrong paper and off course. Was it like 4,000? Oh, we got the number think, in. Yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah. there's no. Keeping up with our You didn't news. listen to last week's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly not attentively enough. Too engrossed in your writing. <laughs> exactly. Um, there was a glitch. Yeah. And it, you know, it would have been deeply annoying for those involved. However, I mean, it really sticks in the same to say it. the delivery probably went more smoothly than I expected. Incredibly complicated thing to do. And as yet, seems remarkably uncontroversial. Mm. I was expecting a bigger scandal. Yeah. You sound disappointed. I am. I'm a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> and just that word on the unconditional offers. Um, big increase in universities offering unconditional offers. That seems to be affecting pupil motivation. They study less hard or coast. And then, I mean, we've seen some schools where they say their results have plummeted um, because of kids thinking, well, I get into uni, whatever I do. Well, the universities are scrabbling around for people from a smaller amount. I mean, this, this is something that we've been doing on the teacher recruitment thing again, mm. is that this, we're starting to get a fall in the number of 18-year-olds, hence even more to the fall of the number of teachers in a few years' time, yeah. few people, and the universities are trying to scoop them up. So Remember, the cap was lifted on the number of places that they could offer as well when, yeah. when the nine grand fees came in, so... You know they are also grabbing money where they as fast as they can. Yeah, but it's having an impact on apparently motivation amongst kids. Turn eighteen, get their um, unconditional offer, and then stop working. Although you know, I did read some people on you know, again on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> not that I spend my entire time on Twitter. Students <laughs> saying, uh, well, "Why on earth do you think we would stop working just because we've got an unconditional?" You know, we want we've been doing in eighteen months of. This yeah. by the time we get our offers, we want to get that, you know, kind of A grade. We want to thought, do you know, well. A level still be on your CV, yeah. or if you don't see through university course, you know, the A levels will be what you fall back on. So. And from the university tutor's point of view, someone who's got an unconditional offer and is still turned up with all those top grades is, you know, superstar. Yeah, superstar. Yeah. So. Great. Well, one other thing to look out for um, next week: um, a bit of a change to our Tez magazine. I'm not going to give away any secrets, but it's going to be even more brilliant than all. You're just going to have to buy it, aren't you? Buy it. Excellent. Okay, well, <laughs> thanks very much, folks. Um, see you next week.